Well, I was going to uh, be out of town tonight, and I had Brother Jeremy lined up to preach because I thought I was going to leave early for the funeral, but it's worked out where I can be there at 1 o'clock tomorrow. And I want you to pray for this funeral. It's my best friend growing up. Uh, his name's David Allison, and he had battles all his life with temptation. And tomorrow, this graveside funeral has grown into about 30 men that's going to show up to honor their friend. And so what I want you to do is I want you to get out your cell phone. Everybody get out your cell phone. I want you to throw it in the hallway if you're on it. No. Uh, I want you to get your cell phone out. I want to put, put a reminder. One o'clock, pray for Brother Wayne. Would you do that? I think that's the only good thing about a cell phone is it reminds you to do stuff that you normally wouldn't do. Amen. So pray for Brother Wayne. I want to see some souls saved. Because I'm going to tell you something. Last time I checked, it's not the higher part that helps you get over addiction. It's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so there's going to be a slew of men there. It's going to be windy. It's going to be cold, 41 degrees. Um, <clears throat> I pray that I can lay it on the line and do it quick. And, but I want to see somebody saved. I think the greatest honor I could ever pay Bubby is that through his home going, somebody would get saved. Amen. His godson <clears throat> just been texting me a lot. My godson, they named him after me. And uh, he said, how long has it been since I've seen you? I said, I'm 48, and I think I, I, you was four years old when I saw you, so I haven't been too good a godfather, I'll tell you that. And uh, God's working on his heart, and uh, he's from Las Vegas. So me and uh, uh, Miss Connie are going to go out there and win some money and visit them. Amen? Not really. No. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. All you, uh, hey, I was only kidding. Amen? I don't, I don't gamble, <clears throat> except when I'm out of town. No, not really. But uh, appreciate Brother Jeremy. Uh, now start the tape. And uh, I recommend him as a pastor for all of you pulpit committees that are listening in because I know there's several probably listening in tonight uh, or will listen in. I have faith about that. And I appreciate Brother Jeremy's faithfulness and his desire to preach the Word of God. I said, just be ready. He said, I'm going to put it down. And so I said, oh, he really wants to preach. Amen. So uh, thank God for a man of God that wants to preach. Amen. So you pray for him, back him up, say amen, nod your head, come back up. Uh, just encourage our young preacher. We appreciate him so much. Amen. He's about 40 years old, too, I think. Amen. Praise God, brother. Uh, 42 came and went a long time ago for me. <laughs> Amen. If you would, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter number 1. Daniel, chapter number 1. Um, I'm developing a series on the book of Daniel. So I thought I would try out the first um, chapter on y'all. We'll be looking at the first chapter of the book of Daniel today. As you're turning there, let me just let you know a little bit about it. Of course, the author is Daniel, the same man who's in the book of Daniel. It was written in the 6th century B.C. The events cover basically the end of the 7th century and the beginning of the 6th century B.C. Now, there's a lot of people who argue for a later date for the book of Daniel. Um, some people say, well, we don't see the book of Daniel quoted in any Jewish writings until the uh, middle of the second century. And it was very well argued that the book of Daniel was a product of either the third century B.C. or the second century B.C., well after Daniel had died. Of course, those that made that argument deny the um, inspiration of the Word of God, deny what the Bible plainly teaches. However, with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran, uh, the Daniel scroll that was discovered there has been reliably dated to the middle of the second century, and for it being dated to the middle of the second century, no doubt the book was much earlier than that. It just wouldn't show up in Qumran the same time 
it was being written. Also, the events that are recorded in the book of Daniel are recorded to such a good detail, a minute detail, that it's ridiculous to think somebody would be um, putting those details in a book that was being written 400 years after the events occur. So we have a good confidence that the book of Daniel was written at the time of the life of the book of Daniel, no doubt by the uh, main character of the book of Daniel, Daniel himself. As we look at Daniel chapter number 1, we see um, the rise of an empire, the empire of Babylon. Um, the Babylonian empire began to rise about a century before the story of the book of Daniel. If we remember reading in the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter number 18 and 19, we hear the story of Hezekiah, and um, when the Assyrian army invaded Judah, surrounded Jerusalem, and in the span of a night, as they laid siege upon the city of Jerusalem, an angel of the Lord came down and slew 185,000 men of the Assyrian army. After that, the Assyrian um, army returned back to Nineveh, to the region, to their nation of Assyria, and in the city of Nineveh, their king, Sennacherib, was assassinated by his two sons. With the decline of the Assyrian army at that time, and also the assassination of their king, Assyria, that great empire which had stood honestly for a thousand years, began to fall. And another people began to rise. We know them in the Bible as the Babylonians and as the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were a group of people that lived to the south of the city of Babylon, um, around the southern part of modern-day Iraq, near where the Euphrates River runs into the um, Gulf, the Persian Gulf. And um, there in the marshes and the swamplands of southern Iraq, the Chaldeans began to rise up under a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who was um, Nebuchadnezzar's father. In the year 626, Nebuchadnezzar um, led a campaign which caused him to reconquer for his people the city of Babylon. And in 626, he became, they made Babylon the capital of the Chaldean Empire. They continued to fight the Assyrians with the help of the Medes, the same people who later on would assist the Persians in destroying the Babylonian Empire. The Medes and the Babylonians continued to attack the Assyrians, and in the year 612 B.C., they conquered the city of Nineveh. Moving on in the year 610, they conquered the city of Haran, the same city where um, Abraham and his father would go after they left Ur the Chaldees. After the fall of Haran, the Assyrians sought help with Egypt to fight against the Babylonians. And as the Egyptian army began to move from Egypt to unite with the Assyrian army, we see in the Bible the story of King Josiah. How in order to curry favor with the Babylonians, King Josiah took his army out to fight the Egyptians to keep them from um, um, supporting the Assyrian army. And in that battle, Judah was defeated and Josiah was killed. Shortly after the death of Josiah, Nebuchadnezzar defeated the combined forces of Egypt and Assyria again at Haran. And at this time, the Assyrian Empire and a as a nation, the nation of Assyria disappeared. A few years later, in the year 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar would finally defeat the Egyptians for good in the Battle of Carchemish. It was after the defeat of the Egyptians at the Battle of Carchemish that Nebuchadnezzar would hear that his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had died. His father was now living in Babylon. He had given the responsibility of his army to his son, Nebuchadnezzar. And in August of 605 B.C., 
Nebuchadnezzar returns to Babylon to be crowned the king of the Babylonian Empire. Now as I stop right here, I remember another story in the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter number 20. After the Assyrians fell apart and moved away after the siege of Assyria, the very next chapter, Hezekiah brings in a group of Babylonians a hundred years before the book of Daniel and allows them to see the prosperity and the wealth of the nation of Judah. And because of that, God said it was a sin, it was of his own pride that he did it, and he told Hezekiah that in the future, the Babylonians would come and carry his people and carry the treasure that he had shown the Babylonians away to their land. And that's what happened in September of 605. Nebuchadnezzar left Babylon, went down to Judah, attacked Jerusalem, and destroyed it. It was at this time in the year 605 B.C. that Daniel and his friends were carried to Babylon as captives. Now let's look in our Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter number 1, and we will see the beginning of this story. The Bible says in verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Before we go into this message, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's blessing on the message today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we have to study your word. I pray that you will speak to hearts. Let something that is said this evening help us in our understanding of the Scripture and also help us in our daily walk for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. By the way, the title of this message is How to Live Godly in a Godless World. Amen. How to Live Godly in a Godless World. Now in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we will see here three kings mentioned. Three kings mentioned. The first one we see is Jehoiakim. The Bible says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, Jehoiakim is significant for his depravity. We see Jehoiakim and his depravity. And it's because of the depravity of Jehoiakim that Jerusalem would fall and eventually the children of Israel as a whole would be carried away into Babylon. There are two reasons why Judah was carried into captivity. The first reason is this. They disobeyed the Word of God. They disobeyed the Word of God. You see, in the book of Leviticus, God had told the children of Israel that every seven years, they were to allow their land, the land they farmed, to go fallow. It was a Sabbath year, a year of rest for the land. And they were not to plant crops, they were not to till the soil, they were not to harvest anything for one year, every seventh year. And for the past 490 years, the children of Israel disregarded it. They did not honor the Sabbath year for the land to rest. Now, if any of y'all are math wizards, if you divide 490 by 7, you come up with a um, number 70, which was the exact amount of years the children of Israel would be in captivity in Babylon. One year, for every year they were supposed to leave the land to rest. And for 70 years, the land of Israel rested. 
That was one reason they disobeyed the Word of God. Jehoiakim as the king so disregarded the Word of God that when Jeremiah sent him God's message, he took out a penknife and cut up the Word of God and threw it in the fire. Not only were they carried away due to their disobedience to the Word of God, but they were carried into captivity because of their fascination with idolatry. Their fascination with idolatry. They left worshiping Jehovah God and turned to every idol anybody in the land could show them. It's interesting to note that for their fascination with idols, God sent them to Idol Central. Idol Central, the nation of Babylon, full of idolatry and full of wickedness. We see King Jehoiakim and his depravity. We also see King Nebuchadnezzar and his cruelty. Nebuchadnezzar and his cruelty. I've told you the history already of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a great king. He was a great general. He was a great builder. In fact, he would build one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Yet for all of those things, he was also cruel. As we look here in the book of Daniel, we will see that he will take the nobility and the aristocracy of Judah and carry them all the way to Babylon, not to rule in Babylon, but to be his servants. He tore them from their homes, tore these young men from their families, only to serve his pride and his greed. We see Nebuchadnezzar and his cruelty. Now the third king may be hard to see, but I want you to look in verses, two, verses 1 and 2 again. As we look in verse 2, the Bible says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Who is the third king mentioned in verses 1 and 2? None other than Jehovah. And here we see Jehovah and his sovereignty. What do we see? The Bible says, yes, Nebuchadnezzar went and besieged and took Jerusalem. And at that point in time, for men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they would have figured their world is falling apart. Everything is out of control. Yet even though it seemed that way to them, God was still on the throne and God was in control. Note that in their worst moments, it was even God's plan for them to be carried into captivity. And I think we can take hope we can take solace that when our life seems to be falling apart, when our life seems to be out of control, always remember, God is still in control. Amen. Moving on to verses 3 and 4, we see this. We see the captives. The Bible says, And the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and in understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now we see the captives that were selected in verses 3 and 4. And who were they? They were men, young men, now when we hear the phrase children being mentioned here, <coughs> don't think that we're talking about little toddlers or five and six-year-olds. 
That's not what we're referring to here. We're referring to teenagers. We have some teenagers in this room. When Daniel was carried into captivity, he was carried into captivity as a man of your age, a young man. And the choices that were made here, the King Nebuchadnezzar said, look out amongst the people of Israel and choose people, number one, for their nobility. The king didn't want the refuse of Judah. He wanted the very best. After all, one of the titles of the king of Babylon was he was king of kings and lord of lords. Does that sound familiar to you? That was one of the titles of the king of Babylon. And if he was going to have servants, he wasn't going to pick the low of the low. He was going to take the best. The best would be his servants. So he wanted men of nobility. And second, he wanted men of ability. He wanted men of ability. He said, I want men in whom there's no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, and understanding of science, so that he might teach them the culture and the language of the Chaldeans. Now I want you all to think about that for a minute. He's not picking just some airhead nobility. He's picking the five beta kappa of the nobility. The smartest, the best. That's who the king wanted. And among these children that Nebuchadnezzar chose, we found another man. Listen to this in verses 4 and 7. Again I read, Who are we looking for? Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Now as we've looked in here, we've seen three kings in Daniel chapter number 1. Now we're going to see three crises for these men. I want you to note that there were many children who came with um, the king's man into Babylon. Choice men out of Judah. However, in the book of Daniel, we only hear three of them being named. We only hear three of them being named. We'll find out the reason why in just a moment. But as we look at this, there were crises that were going on for these children as they're being carried away into Babylon. The first crisis that they had to confront was this. They found an authority crisis. They found an authority crisis. They were no longer to be taught the Word of God and the law that was given to Moses. Instead, their education would no longer be religious in the aspect that they were serving and learning about Jehovah God. Instead, they were now going to learn the learning of the Babylonians and the language of the Babylonians. You see, moving from Babylon, they lost their citizenship, 
They received a new citizenship. No longer were they citizens of Judah. They were now citizens of Babylon. They also received a new culture. They were leaving the godly culture that they could find in Judea, and now they're going to a pagan culture, a secular culture in Babylon. Even their very language, the language of Hebrew, the language in which the Old Testament was written down, that was to be stripped away as well, and they were to learn the language of the Chaldeans. They were to be educated in the Babylonian arts. And what was that? Pagan philosophy, astrology. Any of y'all ever looked at your horoscope? Don't raise your hand. But do you realize that that wicked, wicked art originated in Babylon? That's where it was developed. This is what the, um, the children from Judah were to learn. They were false teachings in order to subvert their religious upbringing. Does that sound familiar to us today? In this culture, in this society, we are moving so far away from God that in our education system, God cannot be mentioned. Let me stop right there. God can be mentioned. If you want to talk about the God of the Muslims, that's okay. If you want to talk about the God of the Hindus, you can spend months studying them. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, that's where the line is drawn. What's happening to our kids now? They come to Sunday school one day a week for one hour a week to learn about God. Children's church, Brother Tuttle, one hour a week to learn about God. And then they go for five days out of the week to the public school where everything that's taught in this building is called a lie and a myth. It's exactly what was happening to Daniel and his friends. They were brainwashing them in order to subvert their religious teaching. Not only do we see an authority crisis in Babylon, but we also see a morality crisis. A morality crisis in Babylon. Look again in these verses. The Bible says that they were, the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. They were to be fed the king's meat and drink the king's wine. To understand something about the king's meat, it was not kosher. It was not prepared the way that God had commanded the Jewish people to prepare their meat. No doubt it was also of unclean things. I'm sure there was a big ham sandwich somewhere in that meal that they were being prepared. Not only that, the very meat the children of Israel were being given by Nebuchadnezzar was offered to the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's pagan gods. And in partaking of that meat, beyond the kosher aspects in which it was prepared, beyond the fact that some of the meat that they were receiving was unclean by the Word of God, also, in accepting the meat, you were acknowledging the God who Nebuchadnezzar worshipped. Why, even the very wine that he drank was blessed to different gods of Babylon. And in drinking the wine, you also had to acknowledge the wicked gods, the wicked idols of the Babylonians. They were to do this so they might be able to stand before the king. Now, to most of the people that went, 
they took the king's meat. They drank the king's wine because they wanted to stand before the king and be and the king be impressed with them. But for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they realized that the king that everybody else wanted to stand before was the wrong king. Daniel wanted to stand before the right king. He wanted to stand before the Lord. And when the Lord tested him, when the Lord looked upon him, the Lord would be pleased in him. Now in most Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches at least, most people that are members of an independent Baptist church fall not due to bad doctrine, but due to bad practice, bad way of living. Hey, we all know the Bible. Hey, we know the right Bible to carry, right? Hey, are we not all King James only? Hey, it matters not if you're King James only if you don't live according to the King James Bible. We have to live according to what the Word of God teaches. As the Bible says, Be not hearers of the Word, be ye doers of the Word. We have to live right. Most Christians fall. Not because they don't understand who God is. Not because they don't understand what the Bible teaches. They fall because they fail to live what the Bible tells them to live. We see an authority crisis. They were subverting the religious teachings of Daniel's youth and replacing it with a pagan philosophy and a pagan culture. We see a morality crisis. We see them um, being persuaded to disobey those things God commanded them to do. And finally, we see an identity crisis. We see an identity crisis. I mentioned already, only four were named. Why not more? Why were only four men named? The reason why is this. Only four decided to take a stand. Hey, it's easy to be one of the crowd if you just want to live like the crowd. Hey, but it takes courage. It takes boldness to make a stand for God. And when it comes to making a stand for God, those men are always noted. Hundreds of youth were part of Nebuchadnezzar's program, but only four remained faithful. In this program, they changed their names. Each one of them, Daniel and his three companions, had spiritual parents, and they gave them spiritual names. In fact, as a young man, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were raised under and influenced by Josiah's revival. They had turned back to God as the children of Israel. And as young boys, they sat under that revival. They were influenced by that revival. But when Nebuchadnezzar received these men, he did not want them to be identified with their Jewish faith, but with Nebuchadnezzar's pagan culture. So we look at Daniel. The name Daniel means this in Hebrew. God is my judge, or my judge is God. He was changed to Belteshazzar. And the name of Belteshazzar means the pagan god Bel, protect my life. Hananiah, his name meant Jehovah is gracious. And his name was changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God with a little g. I am fearful of a Babylonian God. Mishael, his name means who is he that is God? It was changed to Meshach, which means I am despised 
before my God. Again, with a little g. Azariah, his name means the Lord is help. It was changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo. They had changed their names. They had given them a fake, I mean, a false education. They began to feed them false doctrine. They began to teach them false practices. But the children of Israel had to make a decision. And we see one man who made a firm decision. And that man's name was Daniel. We see in verse number 8 of the book of Daniel, chapter 1, Daniel's decision. Daniel's decision. Look at verse number 8 with me. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuch that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear the Lord my king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuch brought them in, in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued, even into the first year of King Cyrus. We see Daniel's decision in verse number 8 of chapter number 1. Before we get into that, let me also say that the first half of the book of Daniel can be viewed as a series of decisions. Daniel makes a decision here not to eat of the king's meat or drink the king's wine. We see in Daniel chapter number 3, the three Hebrew children decide not to bow down before the king's statue. We see in Daniel chapter number 5, we see Daniel deciding not to follow the king's order to stop praying to the Lord. We see a series of decisions. In Daniel's first decision, I want you to understand this. Number one, it was a heart decision. It was a heart decision. Look at this. It said in verse number 8, we see that for Daniel, it was an individual decision. Look at verse 8. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. 
not to eat of the king's meat. It doesn't say Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got together and decided as a committee what they should do. No, Daniel decided, even if no one else goes with me, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. And I'm not going to drink the king's wine. I've made a promise. I have committed myself to the Lord. I am His servant and I will obey the Lord no matter what it costs me. We see it's an individual decision. Understand this. Every decision you make as a Christian, if it's going to be lasting, if it's going to be meaningful, has to be an individual decision. There's many people growing up, Brother Wayne, when I was called to preach. I was called to preach at Camp Canaan in 1992. That long ago. My best friend, Thomas Satterfield, who's now one of the um, one of the leaders over at Macedonia World Baptist Missions, gave his call to preach on Tuesday of that week. I gave my call to preach on Thursday of that week. That same week, another young man by the name of Jeff gave his call to preach. And each one of us seemed sincere, seemed to desire to preach the Word of God. Thomas is continuing to preach. I'm continuing to preach. But Jeff is no longer preaching. Many young people inspired by the decisions other people made, decided to go along with the crowd. It was not a decision that they had made in their own heart. It was a decision made by committee. Hey, it looks like a fun thing to do, so I'm going to do it as well. Those types of decisions don't last. You've got to make the decision for yourself. Daniel purposed in his heart, no matter what anybody else did, I'm not going to do it. What a statement of faith that Daniel made. It was an individual decision, but also it was an influential decision. It was an influential decision. Look in verse number 10 again. I want you all to study this passage very carefully in verse 10. I want you all to see what I'm seeing here. Daniel went to the prince of the eunuchs, remember? He said, I'm not going to eat it. But notice what it says here. In verse 10, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your meat and your drink. Now look at the next statement. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children that are of your sort? In verse 8, who made the decision? One person, Daniel. But when we look at verse 10, He didn't say, why should I see your face? He said, why should I see your faces? You see, Daniel decided to take a stand. And you know what? It was an inspiration and it was an encouragement to men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they saw one person take a stand, it influenced the people that are around them. Young people, if you would decide to live for God, No matter what anybody else says, I'm going to do what's right. No matter what my peers say, I'm going to live for Jesus. For a while you may stand alone, but it will be amazing how there will be other people who will look at you and you will inspire them to make the right decision for Jesus Christ. Daniel made an individual decision, but his decision to do what was right influenced his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Hey, keep this in mind. We're not in Daniel chapter 3, but just keep this in mind. If it wasn't for Daniel's decision in chapter number 1, verse 8, you would have never had Daniel chapter number 3. You would have never had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around with Jesus in the fiery furnace. Daniel made a decision. It was an individual decision, but it was a decision that influenced others. Let us make our own decision to live for Jesus Christ. And as we take a stand, let us influence others to follow as well. We see it was a heart decision. And next, we see it was a humble, a humble decision. Look at what it says now in verse number 8. It says in verse 8, the very end, it says, Therefore Daniel requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He goes to the prince of the eunuchs. And what does he tell him? He says, I don't want to eat the king's meat. I want to abstain from his meat. I want to abstain from his wine. He requests to abstain from those things. Yet we see here that the king's eunuch, the prince of the eunuch, was not a Christian man. He wasn't a man from Israel. He was a Babylonian. And the Bible says that his request was rejected. He said in verse 10, I can't do that. He said at the end of verse 10, If I do that, and the king looks on your faces, and they look worse than the rest of them who's been eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine, what's going to happen to me? Look at verse 10, the very end, the last sentence. It says, Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Can you sympathize a little bit with this man, the prince of the eunuchs? Hey, it's a great thing that Daniel made a decision to live for God, right? He's going to a man who doesn't know Jehovah. He's never read the Bible. He has no clue about Jewish culture and Jewish dietary practices. And Daniel's telling him, hey, that meat that the king had given you to give to me, that it's your responsibility to make sure I eat? Hey, that wine that the king gave to you and made it your responsibility to see to it that I drink it? I don't want to eat it, and I don't want to drink it. Now, can you understand when the prince comes back to him and says, I want you to understand something now, Daniel. I respect your stand, but do you understand that what you're asking me to do is you're asking me to risk my life. So you don't have to eat that food. That's a big ask, wouldn't you agree? And he's not a believer. So what's his answer? No. After all, if he doesn't feed it, wouldn't be the first question a government official would ask of that prince? Hey, we've given you three years of the king's meat. We've given you three years rations of the king's wine. And they didn't go to where they're supposed to go. Did they go to your pocket? Did you sell it? Are you starving these kids in order to make a little, an extra buck? Dangerous thing what he's asking to do. So the first request was um, denied. But then Daniel offers an alternative. Look at verse number 11. He understands where the prince of the eunuchs is coming from. So he says this in verse number 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Prove my servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. He says to Melzar, we've got three years to handle this situation. I'm asking for ten days. Just ten days. Give me ten days 
out of over a thousand days to test. So he's put it to the test. And you give me pulse. That's basically veg vegetables and grain. I couldn't have done it, but I appreciate Daniel. Pulse to eat and water to drink for 10 days. And after 10 days, you come back and look at me and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And you see how we turn out. After 10 days, if we're looking terrible, we look like we're from some zombie film. I mean, if we look like a total disaster occurring here, we'll stop. But just give us 10 days. Daniel had realized this. He had decided to be faithful to the Lord. And what he realized is this. When he decided to be faithful to the Lord, he also believed that God would honor his faithfulness. If this is what God wanted us to do, if this is what God expects us to do, then God's going to have to provide a way for us to do it. And so he made a test in days to see if God would come through. And Daniel had faith that he would. And what were the results? The Bible says that the result was that Daniel and his three friends were healthier and more radiant than the rest. The preacher Jerry Vines one time said this, Whom we serve will eventually show on our faces. For Daniel and the three Hebrew children, they decided to serve God, and it showed on their faces. They were healthier, they were fatter, and they were more radiant than those who had decided to go the other way. Isn't that true, though? When we truly follow the Lord our God, isn't there usually a smile on our face? Isn't there a joy in our life? Hey, when we're away from God, isn't that when we're miserable? Hey, can't you tell the people that are in church that are on fire for God and those that are not? And I'm saying it because I've been in church and I've been on fire for God, and I've also been in church when I wasn't on fire for God. And you could tell it on my face. Am I right, brother? Amen. Am I right, sister? We've got to choose to live for God. And when we choose to live for God, God will honor our faithfulness. We see that it was a heart decision. It was a humble decision. And finally, it was an honored decision. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar said this, three years, they're going to learn, they're going to be educated, they're going to receive my meat, and they're going to drink my wine. And here comes the test. They're going to have to stand before me. And I'm going to decide who's going to continue on. Three years pass, and the day comes. But understand this about the decision being honored is this. The Bible says concerning God's honor, 1 Samuel 2.30, great verse to memorize. Simple statement right here. God said, them that honor me, I will honor. Amen. Them that honor me, I will honor. That's exactly what happened. Number one, we see in this honor decision that God gave Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a spiritual revelation. A spiritual revelation. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. We see a spiritual revelation. How did Daniel receive his wisdom? How did Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego receive their learning? It didn't come from the Babylonian textbooks. It didn't come from the Babylonian horoscope. Where did it come from? It came from the Lord. God said, the king wants the best that I have. The king's going to get the best. And who are the best? 
the four that decided to be faithful to God. Amen. We go on, not only do we see a spiritual revelation, but we also see a royal elevation. A royal elevation. Verse number 18, Now at the end of the days, that's three years, that the king had said that he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 19, we see this. We see they were tested by the king. It says in verse 19, And the king communed with them, and among all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. You see, everybody else decided they were just doing their best to look good in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided they were going to do their best to look good before the Lord. And you know what? When you look good before the Lord, you look good before everyone else. It's not a big deal to stand before Nebuchadnezzar when you're standing before the Lord. And they go and they stand before Nebuchadnezzar and his court with all of his servants, with all of his counselors. Nebuchadnezzar comes and examines them and on their appearance, nobody looks better than Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stand up straighter. Hey, their shoulders are more boxed in and firmer and wider than the rest of them. Their eyes have wisdom and fire of character about them. Nebuchadnezzar looks at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and begins to question them to see their wisdom in all things. And as the test was given, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aced every part of it. Not only do we see they were tested by the king, but also we see this. They were counseled. I mean, they were the king's counselors. Look at verse number 20. The Bible says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding, that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Hey, he put them to the test, and they passed with flying colors. What that led to was, now they were in the king's court. Hey, when the king had a problem, and he couldn't solve it, guess who he went to first? Daniel. Hey, those magicians and those astrologers that, he had, been on, that had been on his payroll for years, they weren't even 10% as good as Daniel. When he had a problem, Daniel always had the solution. Hey, when he needed counsel, when he needed wise advice, he went to old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, those three boys never let him down. And why is that? Remember, they made it a decision to stand before the Lord. Now in this world, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a godly man of character? Do you want to be a godly woman of character? Hey, do you want to be the person people go to when they need help, when they need advice? Do you want to have God's wisdom? Do you want to have God's power on your life? Hey, when people look at you, do you want them to see you as a sad sack? Do you want them to see you as a miserable all the time? Or because you're born again? Because you're a child of God? Because God has done great things in your life? Amen. Do you want them to see the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus? shining through your life. It always comes to a decision. Are you going to continue down the path of the world? Young people, we have so much now that is vying for our attention. I can't believe this, Brother Wayne, that I'm about to say this. Hey, it wasn't like the way it was when I was a kid. <laughs> 
Brother Robert, you're 40 years old. God bless you. I'm 42. And I think back to when I was a kid. I remember when I would go to computer class. You know what kind of computer I worked on? A green screen. Does anybody remember what a green screen computer was? Hey, do y'all remember when a computer was all one part? There wasn't separate things. The monitor, the keyboard, the memory, they were all attached together. And no, it wasn't a tablet. <laughs> it was a big monstrosity. Green, green screen. Some of you kids have probably never even seen a green screen in your life. I mean, those things. I mean, video games. I mean, it was the Atari 2600. They were nothing. Hey, we would go outside and play. There was no such thing as Facebook. There wasn't no such thing. There wasn't any Twitter. I don't even, still don't even know what Twitter is. Nothing like Pinterest. What else is there? Is MySpace still a thing anymore? <laughs> There's so many things that buy for our attention that were not there when I was a kid. Everything is pulling you away from God, from His Word. Why the big thing when I was a kid was, hey, if you keep watching TV, it's going to melt your brains. I don't even think kids watch TV anymore. They're always on their phone. And it's keeping us from God. What is it doing? It's brainwashing us. It's not teaching us the way we should go as Christians. It's not teaching you godly principles. It's trying to subvert those godly principles. So you don't become like Jesus, you become like the world. But I believe that everybody in this room, if we were honest with ourselves, desires to be more like Him. Desires to be that man or that woman of God that makes a difference. That stands when everybody else bows to the world system. Well, brothers and sisters, it all starts with an individual decision to do what is right. And this decision had long-lasting repercussions. Verse number 21, and we'll close. The Bible says... And Daniel continued, even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel outlived the entire Babylonian Empire. He was brought captive under the great king Nebuchadnezzar when it was at its height. He would serve Nebuchadnezzar. He would serve his grandson Belshazzar. He would serve Cyrus' appointed governor of Babylon, a man by the name of Darius. And then when Cyrus took control as king, he was still there. Still there, making a difference for God. My question to you, young men, is this. Where do you desire to be 70 years from now if the Lord allows you to stay on this earth? Do you desire to still be in church, making a difference, influencing those young men and young women who will come after you? Or do you, your desire to be out in the world, doing everything else the world is doing, just going to and fro? I doubt there would be anybody who would say, that's what my desire is to be 70 years from now. How do, we, how do we last? It comes from a decision, a heart decision, an individual decision to live for God. What king are you going to stand before? Are you going to stand before the king of the world and follow the world's ways? Or are you going to make a decision, I want to stand before the king of kings? and the Lord of Lords. Amen. I want to stand before Jehovah God, and I want Him to be pleased with me when I'm put to the test. I hope that's your decision. God bless you. Brother Wayne.
Let's all bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the message tonight. We thank you, dear God, for the challenge to be different and to be distinctively Christian and take a stand in these last days. I pray for our young people, especially tonight, that they'd take this message to heart and realize, God, there's many things pulling them away from the message. There's many things that are and people <clears throat> that are negative peer pressure away from God. And Lord, we pray that every one of our young people and older alike would purpose in their heart and do on purpose follow you with all their heart. With every head bowed, every eye closed, a moment of invitation, what a tremendous message. I want to ask you a question. Are you going to take it to heart? Probably what you decide tonight, some of you young people, will determine who you marry. It'll determine uh, your future for Christ. It'll determine whether you're go, going to glorify God or live for your little self. Your decision tonight. You're going to go down the drain with the group and the crowd, the popular group at school, and they're in every school, or are you going to go for God and take a stand? Let me say, preacher, tonight the Lord spoke to my heart about being what God wants me to be. And that's his child, his servant, his soldier, his saint. And I want God to use me in these last days to be a testimony that God is enough. Would you raise your hand for prayer if you want to be that kind of separated Christian? God bless you all over this auditorium. Anybody else, quickly, just slip your hand up. Slip your hand up. We're going to pray for you. God bless you. God's convicted you. You realize that you're sliding, you're slipping. It's not back leaping, it's backsliding. You, you realize something's drawing your heart away from God. Someone, you ought to give up that someone or something and go all the way for God. Father, use this message. I pray if there's one that's not even saved tonight that they'd walk this aisle and trust you as their personal Savior. Get in the family of God so they can take a stand for God. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you for what you're doing our young people's life, but God help us adults to set the example of purpose in our heart to be your vessel unto honor. And we'll thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.